At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and great to have you here. Please be seated. And welcome again to Cyber Law and Business Report. I'm Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in beautiful Santa Monica. And we have a great show for you today. We're going to be covering the issue of cyber insurance and a very important topic, um, something that is very very little is known about by many in the industry, I find. And then um, we'll also be um, following up with some of our previous stories that now have updates, including a settlement in the Match.com um, lawsuit that we had we talked about um, several weeks ago, and an update on the Right Haven development. But um, we're going to start off in our discussion on cyber insurance with Steve Haas from InsureTrust. Steve, hey Bennett, great to have you on. Well, thank you. And um, so, in talking about what, you know, what exactly is cyber insurance, it, it's interesting. I note that today is the 19th anniversary of um, Hurricane Andrew hitting Florida. And uh, that was a, a huge disaster for the insurance industry. It almost puts the Lloyds of London, I think, and several others out of, out of business. And so I guess um, in approaching um, cyber insurance, I mean, how, did the, how do insurers approach this issue? Well, it's a big change for them. And it, uh, one of the early issues was um, – concern about aggregation. And aggregation is basically what a hurricane does to the insurance industry when a whole lot of people are affected at one time. 
And traditionally, aggregation in the insurance world had to do with uh, earthquakes, hurricanes, geographical-type aggregation. Mm-hmm. When they started looking at the Internet and ensuring the new exposures of that, aggregation uh, became more linked to uh, numerous companies using similar technology. Uh, so, for instance, a hosting company, if somebody hacked into a hosting company and then gained access to all the clients' uh, data of, of the hosting company, that would be an aggregation loss. So that was a concern. And so um, it seems that initially there were very few um, cyber insurance products you know, offered early on. But you know, the, now there seems to be, uh, I guess, the insurance industry is a little more comfortable with the space. And uh, so why don't you tell us about you know, how that, that's progressed and you know, what is available for um, businesses online today. Okay. Well, the first policy actually came out in April of 1997. And it was fairly limited coverage-wise, and um, uh, there were, were not many buyers because the biggest concern was the Y2K risk. Uh-huh. Eventually, though, after 9-11, uh, you might recall insurers uh, lost uh, something like $40 billion from that one incident. So they were raising rates and uh, reallocating their uh, balance sheets to go after different risks. And then all of a sudden... The economy started to slow, and they were looking for ways to grow their premiums. Uh, They actually made a lot of money. Uh, One of the biggest profit years ever was uh, two years after 9-11 when they had raised rates, but there weren't any more terrorist attacks. Once they started looking out at the uh, economic landscape, there really were very few uh, new risk opportunities. And cyber insurance is... Probably, probably the number one area big insurers are going, getting into and have been getting into for the last eight to ten years. And what, what type of products are they offering? Well, there's a lot of different products out there, but I'll give you sort of the core coverages that um, most of the carriers are offering. Uh, any sort of liability suit arising out of a breach of security of your network. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can also expand that coverage to include things not on your network, like laptops, uh, paper files on and off-premises. Uh, they'll even cover rogue employee intentional acts, which often are the worst types of, types of incidents. Right. Uh, they're now covering even government civil actions, if you have uh, some sort of fine or penalty related to that. And Would that cover the actual penalty or just the cost of the, invest- they can, the investigation? They can actually, where, where it's permissible by law, they can cover the actual penalty. So there are some um, federal regulations that, you're, you're not, that are intended to punish and you're not allowed to uh, ensure those. But there are plenty of regulations out there that uh, relate to privacy and, and uh, security that uh, we would pay penalties and defense costs and any sort of settlement. You know, it's not unusual when a large company gets hacked into or there's a breach of privacy or security that the state uh, uh, attorney general or uh, even the the district attorney goes after the company to collect money to create a compensatory fund in case the state's citizens later are found to be of harm, be harmed, such as uh, getting an identity theft right. issue. But actually, the policies go way beyond that. They cover all kinds of content disputes around your website. Prior to the Internet, 
most of us marketed using uh, brochures. Right. And those bro- brochures went out to a select audience. But now many companies are creating their own content on the web and, and don't necessarily have that content checked by lawyers for copyright, trademark, slogan, or just a domain so that, that's... name infringement. Oh, so, uh, you know, okay, it's like a cyber squatting or that you cover that then. Well, yeah, a lot of companies go out and purchase quite a few domain names not knowing whether they really have rights to those domain names. So, for instance, uh, you take Delta Airlines, Delta Faucets. Who gets the uh, Delta.com website? Well, actually, it's the company that filed the first trademark using Delta. And uh, Delta Airlines obviously filed that. So you could actually own a domain name that somebody else has filed a trademark on, and they could come after you and sue you for that domain name. So I guess I should be worried about my Microsoft.com uh, domain. But <laughs> yeah, I think you would have already heard from them. <laughs> but also in, in the uh, last uh, five years, uh, there have been growing state regulations around breaches. And basically 47 states plus Puerto Rico and the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands have uh, breach notification laws. And although the laws vary by state, generally speaking, if you uh, believe you might have been breached and you believe there might be potentially harmed third parties, you have to notify those parties, and it's quite expensive. And these policies now provide resources to do the notification to uh, do a forensics test to find out what the breach was, uh, to do the uh, letters uh, for the notification, also offer credit monitoring. Uh, I think most, a good bit of your audience has probably received one of these letters uh, in the last three or four years about their personal information uh, potentially being breached. I've received three letters myself. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the raps on uh, on the one of the raps on cyber insurance, you know, at least five or six years ago, was that you know, there were only a few products, but that seems to have changed. But also that they were, they were very expensive. And my understanding is the pricing is actually the price point's gotten a lot better recently. Is that true? It is, and the reason is all of these carriers. I mean, I hate to say it; it's almost like crack cocaine to insurers to get into cyber liability because it's <laughs> one great area. That's growing. About twenty, about twenty to twenty-five percent of the large company market has already been penetrated. In other words, the larger companies, uh, about a fourth of them, are already buying this. But there's still a lot of market left to go after. And so, what that does, and this is true of any new insurance product, it drives down rates, drives down deductibles, and coverage continues to get broader and broader. Uh, and um, you know, we see some of the carriers we represent growing this year at 40% over the prior year in terms of new accounts. So in, in terms of a, if I'm a, an online business, what would you consider like a starter kit, so to speak, for cyber insurance? What's, what's, what would you say is that the bare minimum I should have? Well, let me, let me say it this way. We, we've worked with many startups and it's not unusual for a startup to just buy the bare-bones insurance of traditional coverages, uh, workers' comp, auto insurance, that sort of thing. And it isn't until they see that the business is really going to pay off and be of value that they start looking at, well, what can go wrong? 
And that usually happens, you know, somewhere in the 500,000 to 2 or 3 million revenue mark. And those uh, companies, most of them can buy a uh, broad uh, state-of-the-art cyber insurance for a couple thousand bucks. And um, there are other things that, that are covered under these policies, such as if your website, if you're selling over the web and your website is shut down, they'll pay for your loss of income. Uh, they can also pay for uh, data loss if somebody gets in and destroys all your data. And although most companies keep up backups, uh, what we're finding is there are a few incidents where the person in charge of the backups uh, accidentally destroys the original and the backup. Um, we also can pay for cyber extortion. Most of the uh, most of the hacking activity is driven by uh, uh, hackers trying to get credit card information or healthcare information. That information is immediately uh, can can immediately be auctioned online for cash. They can turn that information into cash same day. But there are also situations where they can't. They have sensitive information, but there's no market for it. So what they do is they try and sell it back to you. They say, "Hey, we're, we're uh, we've gained information on your uh, company. We know what the payroll for each person is. We know what disciplinary actions your people have had. We know about the affair the CEO had. Whatever. Every company has certain uh, personal information that they don't want out. And what they'll do is is ransom that information. And if anybody doubts this, just Google." cyber extortion, and you'll be covered up with publicly known incidents. Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, now, was this something that you'd have as a rider to uh, a broader insurance, you know, E&O or um, CGL, or is this, is this usually a straight-up separate policy? Well, there are a few carriers offering very inexpensive riders, but if you read through them, and these are very difficult to read policies. That's one of the challenges for the buyers out there is it would be one thing if every carrier offered the same broad product and all you had to do was choose based on price, but that's completely not the way it is. They're very challenging policies to compare and interpret, and you really do need a an expert um, insurance agent to help you or, or risk management resource to help you. Um, I I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, I, I, I thank you very much. You know, it is you raise a good point because if you just read the actual term of the policy and then don't don't go to the exclusions, you know, sometimes it, it basically you're, you read the exclusions. It's the only time you're covered if it is an event that occurs on February 29th, you know, leap year day, and uh, happens to be raining, and um, and you have a uh, you know one other requirement and that's all you get covered for. I mean, that's, that's an overstatement, but um, anyway, we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll talk more about cyber insurance and um, we'll be answering your questions. Thank you. Stay tuned for more of the cyber law and business report after this brief recess for our sponsors. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. 
Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. We're rocking the world with LinkedIn. Hey, it's Mike O'Neill and Lori Rock, the LinkedIn rock stars. We are ready to rock your world with LinkedIn. Join your fearless leaders, Mike and Lori, as they reveal insider secrets. Because I know the secrets, don't I, Mike? Chat with other LinkedIn gurus. We have, we have great guests on our show. Today is no exception at all. And answer your LinkedIn questions. All caps, Mountain Dew, comma, space, all little letters, sleep. Rock the world with LinkedIn, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment, webmasterradio.fm, because not everyone's last name is Gates. Webmasterradio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Thank you. We're back. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here from Santa Monica, and we have Steve Haas from InsureTrust to talk about cyber insurance. And Steve, um, one thing that we were talking about just before we left is just the, the breadth of some of the exclusions you, you read in policies. And um, it, how bad is that with some of the cyber policies that are out there? Well, the uh, I think the challenge isn't that because we're getting claims uh, about one one a week now, and the vast majority are getting paid. It's pretty obvious when you've you've had a cyber breach and and those sorts of things. The problem is that the policies, as they come out of the chute, standard, you don't know that there's sometimes ten to twenty endorsements that can broaden that policy. You don't know that unless you know to ask for them. So, you know, I mentioned intentional acts by employees. and some policies, you have to amend to add that coverage. Um, I noticed somebody commented on environmental insurance, as an example, on your web, on the chat. Should I mention that for a minute? Because that's... If you want to, yeah. I mean, that was me, actually. Okay. So somebody uh, had worked on environmental disputes back in the 60s. And what happened is... Um, many of those disputes were covered under standard insurance, and the result of that is all of the standard carriers came out with absolute pollution exclusions. Exactly. So guess what? A whole environmental insurance specialty product came out, which is still in the marketplace and pays for those uh, those types of events. Cyber insurance is the same way. There's very limited coverage in any standard policy. And they're tacking on more and more exclusions under CGL, et cetera, to make sure they don't cover these cyber events, which is giving the case for separate cyber insurance, um, uh, you know, a stronger case, frankly. Now, um, one thing, you get, now that you, the industry has been involved in this space for, for over a decade now, and I know in some industries, the industry, in order to um, – 
minimize its exposure actually starts setting standards and encouraging um, the policyholders to, to take certain steps to prevent loss. And have, has the industry been doing anything like that in, in the cyber area? That, that is a great question. It's still a pretty big void out there. There are um, new carriers getting into the market that don't really care about standards. They do care about maybe basic things like firewalls, intrusion detection, antivirus, but they don't go much beyond that. And then there are carriers that have been in the market a long time that have paid some pretty big claims. Heartland, for, exa- for example, you can Google that. That's a big payment processor that was an uh, excess of $10 million claim. Um, those carriers are tightening up and trying to create standards, but it's hard to sell uh, their products when, every, when there are so many other players that are going to offer broader coverage. An example is some carriers try and tack on an unencrypted data exclusion. If, if all of your data is not uh, encrypted, then they're, they're going to exclude the data that's unencrypted. Well, that just happens to be the data you want covered. Right. It's, it's very difficult to, uh, to actually uh, implement uh, enterprise-wide encryption. So you, you, that would be a buyer, we, uh, buyer beware clause. Uh, and actually, that is some a, of the state data breach laws only apply to unencrypted data. So that, that would be a very important exclusion. Absolutely critical. Now, I can envision someday down the road when most people are using encryption, but but it's not happening right now. Um, and so only, are there any, any other issues that the industry is trying to address um, with respect to you know, kind of risk management in cyberspace? There's tons. Uh, probably some of the emerging issues are the and, and this will be interesting to your marketing folks out there. You know, so many companies are rushing to do social uh, media, social networking. And uh, we certainly understand that the return on brand loyalty is, is very low cost, high, re- high return. Uh, in doing that, we've had many clients that uh, the CFO and the risk management side of the house didn't even know they were doing social networking. But there are, are new risks associated with that. Uh, the, yeah, and we've talked about this on the show a little bit. The fact that you know, if you're if you have a, if you're a business that's involved in, in any way in that space, you should have a policy for um, how what, what, how employees are able to access it on your behalf. Because um, otherwise, you, you're putting yourself at risk for giving out trade secrets or you know unintentionally in, insider trading and all sorts of things. All of that's true. Plus, there's a Quite a bit of if you allow third parties to to create content, uh, maybe responding to a blog or mm-hmm. uh, participating in your corporate Facebook page, everybody thinks they're an expert suddenly, and they start making comments about competitors. They may make uh, comments about you. They may even be impersonating uh, somebody, uh, which has happened with a lar- large food uh, chain where the CEO actually was uh, trying to knock a competitor's stock online and was impersonating just a regular citizen. Um, but So there are ways to address that with coverage, uh, but they're going to want you to be able to answer certain questions like, what social networking are you doing? Where are you allowing third-party content? Mm-hmm. Do you reserve the right to delete disparaging comments? Those sorts of things. So you have to actually disclose those exposures to get them covered. Now, in some areas of insurance, the, uh, the the insurers are pool their data and their lost data and um, things of that nature, 
Is that the case in cyberspace? That's a huge problem right now. Uh, each carrier that's been at this a long time has a reasonable amount of historical data. The problem is the risks keep changing and the technology keeps changing. And it would be a huge improvement if they would uh, aggregate their information among them, so, among each of them, so they could get a better perspective on actual losses. But that is not happening right now. What's driving this market is not actuaries. It's trying to capture this market as a cyber liability underwriter, trying to c- capture a certain amount of market share so that w- when it does mature, you're a real player out there. And um, what do you perceive as um, – where would this be going in the next couple of years, you think? Well, I think if you look at other products like environmental insurance or employment practices, you might recall – uh, well, a lot of companies buy em- employment practices liability, which is when uh, the uh, company's been accused of creating a hostile workplace or there's been some sort of uh, job discrimination, etc. Uh, that all came about because of the Anita Hill Supreme Court uh, hearings and uh, uh, lawyers saying, oh, you know, we need to look at this. I bet a lot of companies have harassment issues. And eventually they, they initiated suits. Employment practices, liability insurance became available. It was overpriced. It had high deductibles, many exclusions. But over about a five-year period, the market drove those down, and now most businesses carry employment practices liability. Well, cyber insurance is not that far, but it is not far from being a standard purchase. I would say in the next uh, three to four years, uh, if you are in charge of insurance for your business, and you have not looked at cyber, have not purchased cyber, and have not discussed it with your corporate team, and you get hit by a loss, uh, at some point they're going to say, why didn't you buy that? And when they start talking to peers and other resources in the marketplace, they're going to find out that most people have it, and it'll actually be a, a duty to purchase that. We're not there yet, but, but we're probably not too far off. That's interesting about the uh, how the employment insurance kind of was uh, came as a result of the Clarence Thomas event. I guess that explains the the exclusion for Coke. <laughs> well, I'm not. I, actually, I don't know about that exclusion, <laughs> but uh, I can imagine. I, I think that might be that one might be made up. But um, now, tell us about your group, InsureTrust, and and what your role is in this market. Well, initially in 97 until 2001, we were one of, well, initially we were the only underwriter of cyber liability, and then we were one of a very small group. Eventually, after 9-11, when all the other carriers got in the marketplace, we thought that was kind of overdone. What was, what was needed was a resource for independent agents to go to to help them sort out the best coverage for their client, to do things like policy comparisons, to uh, get on the phone with their clients and walk them through all the checklist of all the things that could be covered to determine which, which is their highest priority and then to review the quotes with them. And so that's what we are. We're called in the industry um, a wholesale insurance agency, a specialty wholesaler that does cyber liability. We also do some other products that can be tacked on like errors and emissions. A lot of the um, traditional businesses, say PR, communications, marketing, Etc. Those all now have gone the way of the web. They're using the web. They're they're heavily into uh, the internet, and they um, 
are probably purchasing E&O insurance, and, and this kind of coverage can be bundled with the errors and emissions coverage, and that's usually a, a the better deal is to do it that way. Um, and so it's, you've, really, you've really become a resource for the entire industry, it sounds like. Yeah, we are. We're nationwide. Uh, we are based in Atlanta, but we travel a good bit, and obviously we're in uh, California and Florida and a lot of the states where a lot of this activity is going on. We insure virtually any kind of uh, technology, E&O, uh, uh, cyber risk account, anywhere from dating sites to um, you know re- online retailers to uh, entertainment, et cetera. Do you, do you speak or present or have booths at any of the um, kind of Internet-oriented trade shows that are, that are coming up? We, we did at one time speak at a lot of the security trade shows. We speak at a lot of insurance industry trade shows, um, and we do a lot of training for agents. But we haven't uh, – you know, maybe we should give some thought to that, but we haven't been doing that. I, I think that would be a good idea just because of, of getting awareness in, in this area. Um, you know, a lot of times I've talked to clients, and you know, they're, they're very much unfamiliar with the, this, the products offered there in the space. Or to the extent they are familiar, they just remember from several years ago they were very expensive. Yeah, I, you know, I would, I would like to do that. I would like to get closer to the various industries. Um, you know, I noticed some questions coming up. This is funny about how much commission is in these policies. That's not proprietary. <laughs> and you can ask any agent what their commission is, and they'll tell you. Typically, an agent averages about 11% commission on uh, commercial lines policies. And um, so if people wanted to find more information about you and InsureTrust, where should they go? Well, we... we our website is www.insuretrust.com, and that's probably the best place. And um, you can find out all about us there, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, our contact information is there, and we'd be glad to answer any questions. Uh, one of the things we do for companies and their agents is um, we create a client risk digest that analyzes their risks and then shows them what coverages might map to those risks. So that would be a a service that we offer that might be of interest to folks out there. Great. Well, um, I want to thank you for coming on board. Um, anything else you want to say to our audience before we, we take our take a break? Well, thanks for the opportunity uh, to be on here. And there are other coverages uh, that are built into these policies, but you you know I covered about ninety percent of it, and they're just highly customizable. If you do buy cyber insurance, you do need to have it tailored to your particular needs. And, um, Steve, I want to thank you for being on. This is a very important area for Internet businesses. Um, a lot of them are very, un- very unaware of what, what their opportunities are for coverage here and well as well as even be unaware of what their risk and exposure may be. And so um, bringing you on is, has been very helpful. And um, we'll hopefully you consider coming back sometime. And, um so I want to thank you again, Steve Haas with InsureTrust at InsureTrust.com. And when we come back, uh, we'll be giving you an update on some of our recent stories. Thanks, Steve. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. 
Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Oh, this is intolerable. Guys, just catch the catch, catch them. Just, just land your helicopter and use your feet or something. Webcology. I swear there's a helicopter hovering like or just circling around the neighborhood I'm in for no apparent reason. <laughs> catch them already, fellas. Catch them. Do something useful. Live broadcast Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Understanding that the like button is actually going to provide a signal. My goodness, why whenever I have something to say, do the police have to fly their helicopter right over my head? It's so unfair. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Drop into the Webmaster chat room. Webmasterradio.fm. Clothing is optional. Webmasterradio.fm. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmasterradio.fm. And this is Bennett Kelly. Welcome back to the second half of Cyber Law and Business Report. And we're going to give you a little bit of an update on some of the stories that have been we've been covering, as well as um, talk about some new developments. And um, one of the new developments is there are a couple of um, areas where we have some First Amendment conflicts and between um, internet laws and um, and telecommunications laws. And um, the First Amendment, and a notable one occurred in um, San Francisco, where protests over um, the shooting of a um, by a shooting death by BART, which is the Bay Area Rapid Transit um, system. Um, one of their guards had had shot someone and um, killed them, and um, and there was some protest over that, and the BART police decided to cut off um, cell phone access in the, in, a, in the area where the protest was planned. And it caused some of an uproar because of basically it, it, uh, it seemed to be a, a, just a mass blanket censorship. And so at first the, um, the BART was very much apologetic, but um, they've, they've since have taken a firm stand that, that they, what they were doing was necessary to protect public safety. But the, the result was they got a, a swift response 
from Anonymous, um, the uh, the hacker group, which hacked the BART website and you know, expressed their displeasure over um, BART's um, re- lack of respect in their view for the First Amendment. And um, so I think we're going to be seeing conflicts like this emerging um, continuously as the, as social media develops, particularly in, in this case, what their BART was trying to address was uh, a flash mob, more or less, occur at, at the station, and that would but that would disrupt service, and so that was a concern. But it really is a um, something that I think everyone has to be sensitive to. Um, that that was still protecting the First Amendment. Now, an interesting um, log happened in Tennessee, and trying to one of the problems in cyber harassment is you have. Um, frequently, basically, it's a an ex-boyfriend posting naked pictures of his girlfriend um, on the internet or emailing them to people who, who shouldn't see them. And so um, Tennessee tried to address this by passing a law to um, prohibit the posting of ima- uh, images that would cause um, emotional distress. And the problem with the law, though, is it's well-intentioned. Obviously, you want to have a remedy for someone who um, has had their um, likeness improperly used. Um, but the question is, is, the, is this too broad so as to violate the First Amendment? And I, I posited the question, um, I don't know if you remember when Tennessee was actually in the Super Bowl several years back uh, against the St. Louis Rams, and they came down to the final play, and uh, Tennessee was uh, running towards the end zone, and was stopped just a, an inch or two from the goal line and an inch or two from winning. So if I post that picture, <laughs> and that does that cause and ca- that causes distress for Tennessee Titans fans, am I violating the law? Um, you know, and likewise, if you know if someone just posts a picture of something sad that happened, are they violating the law? And and so I think that's something that is likely to be challenged. Um, the attorney general has indicated that he's reviewing the law. Uh, although that probably would have been a better idea uh, when the law was under consideration, but at least um, they're having some sensitivity to the the whole question of um, of the First Amendment. Now, um, to going back to cases we've been following um, on the Right Haven matter, you know, there's been a total reversal in um, how those cases are progressing initially. You know, right Haven, um, which is the, the copyright arm of the, um, the Las Vegas Review and Journal and um, a whole bunch of other newspapers, they, they were filing copyright suits against um, very small blogging outfits for using sometimes very small parts of their content um, just as a way to send a signal. And they filed over 200 suits and had roughly um, several hundred thousand in um, settlements. And so it seemed to be going well for them until all of a sudden um, it was revealed that Right Haven did not have full um, rights to the copyright. And so the cases were being quickly – not only were they being quickly dismissed, but um, attorney's fees and sanctions were being assessed against Right Haven. And so now they're up to over 40000 that they've had to pay out or they've been ordered to pay out in fees and in um, sanctions. So – um, and then that likely is to increase. So this may be a, a huge debacle um, for um, for Right Haven. And um, so we, maybe we recall we had the EFF on talking about this. So 
it's been a big issue for the internet, and I um, just wanted to let you know about that. Another big issue for the internet, though, is um, online dating. And now, if you recall, we have Mark Webb on um, to talk about the, the class action lawsuit filed against Match.com um, with respect to, um, on behalf of a, a woman who had been raped um, on th- someone she met through Match.com who was a, a serial sex offender. And um, it turns out we now have a settlement in that case, and we have Mark back on um, to talk about it. Mark, um, welcome back. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing fine. Um, so, Mark, congratulations on getting a settlement. What can, you, what can you tell us about it? Well, we think this is the beginning of uh, some big changes in online dating so that it will be safer. And, and specifically, how so? Because now, if the biggest number one online dating company in the world is agreeing to do sex offender checking at the federal, state, and local level and screen out those people that they find, well, we think that the other companies are going to follow suit. I'm told that that's even happening as we speak. Interesting. And so um, have they implemented the sex offender check already? Yeah, they say they did as of the end of May, but... They wouldn't tell us about it until we went to court and sort of negotiated a result, which included them uh, stating openly what it was they did. I think, you know, in fairness, I have to say they didn't maybe want to attribute this change to the lawsuit, and they didn't want to connect it to the lawsuit. They wanted to sort of maybe just have people assume they did it because they thought it was the right thing to do. And... You can have your audience come to whatever conclusion they want, but three days after we filed the lawsuit and the press got a hold of it in April is when they made a media alert. And I recall from our last time, um, when you, before you filed the lawsuit, they were telling you, though, this would be impossible for them to do. It would be such a huge administrative burden. And uh, within a couple of days, all of a sudden, that, that, that burden seemed to evaporate. Exactly. Yeah, the impossible dream. <laughs> and and so how how does your client feel about the result? Victorious. She feels like, you know, in life, uh, there are moments that you have in life when you just feel proud of, like when you have a child, when you accomplish something very special, when you do something for society. Um, it doesn't involve any payback for you. Uh, she feels like that. This is one of those moments where she just feels like... Um, She's done something. She stood up. She she revealed her identity. She spoke out. She took on the billion-dollar company, and she was, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? She was, uh, help me out here. She prevailed. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm a little, uh, I just got back from L.A., and I'm in San Francisco, and I'm just about having my first coffee, so. Oh, don't, don't worry. We'll, I we'll can actually be more to, articulate than this, but that, I'm we'll, sorry. We'll now move on to finishing sentences for 200. Um, and it, one thing, um, you know, it, it was really gutsy what she did in terms of coming forward and saying, you know, because I, I was a rape victim, um, because you know, she's an entertainment executive um, and so clearly had a, a lot at stake. And what, what type and, of feedback? And, and I want to just get? say that you know, statistically, fifty percent, fifty percent of rape victims never say a word because they know that they have to go on the stand, they have to testify, they have to subject themselves to cross-examination, they have to unveil their entire sex life and their sexual 
uh, habits and, 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 and history, and, and it's very unsavory. And then even after all that, rape victims often get off. Mm-hmm. So the statistic is most people don't even report it, or not most, half, let's say, don't report it. And then the other half are protected by the law so that their identity is uh, concealed. And we started this case off with her as a Jane Doe. Right, I recall but that. But in order to you know, maximize the interest and the publicity, she was offered some time on Good Morning America, the Today Show, things like that. If she would reveal herself, and she basically said, okay, you know, for the sake of making this more public and more, um, you know, uh, prevalent of an issue, she did. So I think I agree with you. It was very brave and noble. What type of feedback did she get, if any? As of, well, there have been some stages in this case. You mean now? The feedback she's getting now is uh, one of the TV hosts is named Jane Velez. You know her? No, I don't. I guess she has a regular show on CNN. I was back there with her. Um, they flew us back. And, and yeah, we don't watch that because they don't have as high ratings as we do. <laughs> well, I know. That's why you don't know her. <laughs> then again, she probably doesn't know you either, so it's even. <laughs> I, I'm just teasing with you. Um, she called her the Erin Brockovich of online dating. Wow, that's a, great, that's a great tag to have, and I'm sure that must have been very satisfying for her. Very satisfying, very fulfilling, and, uh, you know, when she looks back on her life, when it's time to do that, it's not yet time to do that, she'll, I think, uh, going forward, you'll see more and more of this kind of thing, and you'll see that, um, just like when they used to have uh, cigarettes or medication or whatever it is, you know, there, there are all kinds of controls, and there are all right. kinds of warnings on there. Well, with online dating, there's none of that. And the regulation that's been proposed, in California at least, has been sitting there. And so what we did was we said, well, let's bring a class action, and if the press gets a hold of it, this could actually get the result done a lot quicker. And I think that's a paradigm that worked, and I think it could work, you know, again. Fortunately, it's going to take a lawyer who's willing to do it for free. <laughs> and that would be you. No, well, no, and, no, no, no. Looking, I don't need any more cases like this right now. And, and looking at um, this case, did you look at how um, other countries regulate online dating? I didn't, no, I didn't look at it, but I have since been in Europe for uh, personal reasons. And I, I've been told this case has had uh, an impact on Match Link or something like that in Europe, mm-hmm. which is the European version. I'm, I know that Interpol is now being involved in finding sex offenders online dating. I've been told that. I don't know it. As a lawyer, you have to be careful about saying what you know. I've been told that there are international ramifications. Now, again, I'm wondering if they were, do they have sex offender lists in Europe? Good question. And that'd be it's interesting to know. Um, to do some, some, somebody in your audience could do a wonderful paper on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's how this um, spreads and what the impact. This could have a huge impact worldwide because we obviously Match is going to probably have to implement this in other countries eventually. Well, it'll, and, be, it'll be interesting because here's, here's, here's the rub. Um, and it gets back to what I think I was trying to say. First of all, around the time that this thing uh, broke in April, May, it was uh, announced that Match.com was going into China, meaning that people could do online dating in China. 
Okay, well, fine. However, China does not have a judicial system quite like ours, and no. maybe <laughs> it'll have international ramifications, but there's no bite in it any place except here, because here is where we have our judiciary as powerful as the executive and the legislative branches, right? Exactly. So, therefore, what are they going to do against them in China? If uh, somebody goes out with a convicted sex offender, they're going to do nothing because nobody can do anything. I don't have any courts there, as far as I know. I'm not an expert, but the point being is that this could really only happen here in terms of this kind of result. Whether Match.com decides to do something about it in other countries, I think, is sort of up to them. And was there anything anything further you think that Match.com should be doing that, that wasn't covered by the settlement? Um, I'm not an expert on that. I believe there are uh, people better to talk to than me. Uh, I could get you some names if you're interested. I can't do it off the top of my head. But some people believe that they should be checking for all kinds of convictions like uh, battery, uh, domestic mm-hmm. abuse, even fraud has been mentioned. That's not what our case is about. Crimes of fashion? Sorry? Crimes of fashion? Crimes of fashion? What's a crime of fashion? Yeah, someone's badly dressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you're making fun of me, huh? No, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just thinking uh, these are things that uh, I'm sure would come up, uh, they would they would ask about in online dating. But oh, look, um, there, there, is no, there is no fashion offender registry. <laughs> okay, all right, have your fun. All I'm saying is that if someone, I mean, our case is about a woman who got raped. Right. She got raped and didn't have to get raped because the guy could have been screened out because he was a registered sex offender. That's all. And that's what I can speak to. Are there opinions out there that they should go further than that? Yes. There are opinions and there are actually private companies and there are all kinds of entities that are interested in it going further than that because... Online dating sites offer an opportunity like a, you know, a hotbed for people to be taken advantage of on one level or another. Ours happened to be sex. Well, it, it goes to that, you know, that famous New Yorker cartoon um, about the dog on the, on the computer talking to his fellow dog saying, I love the Internet because no one knows you're a dog. And, um, and, and that's, that's the problem. You don't know who you're dealing with in the Internet. And um, in an online dating, obviously, there's, there's certain perils in not knowing any, something about the person you're dealing with, and um, your, your client definitely faced them. I would totally agree with you, and I would never say that anybody who goes on Match.com or any other site can rely 100% on Match.com protecting them. I think that's ridiculous. I think that's stupid. And um, this is not intended to make that, you know be the case. It's not possible for that to be the case any more than it's possible for someone to be guaranteed that if they walk down a certain street, they're not going to get mugged. Right. But okay. this However, is, this... as in other things with the law, you know, we look to see what's reasonable, what's reasonable to ask of what it is of the provider, of the company that's making the profit. And we ask them to be reasonable. And so what's reasonable is you know, do some sex offender checking, and if they're there, get them off. That's important. And, um, so and it's a shared what, responsibility uh, thing. Even with these changes, 
the people who go online and date. And by the way, in our culture, this is becoming more and more prevalent. You know, we have a divorce rate that's high and getting higher. We have a culture that's fast-paced and more technologically based every day. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's a little bit disingenuous to say, well, you just look out for yourself and that's it. Yeah, you got to look out for yourself. And at the same time, if you're paying a fee, certain basic checks should be in place. That's all. Now, it matched up the the requirements that they, they screen for sex offenders. Are sex offenders allowed to be on match? Well, as of this time uh, and as of yesterday, from what was represented by their attorneys in court and out of court, I can say that they're no longer allowed to be on match if they're convicted sex offenders. Um, For that time, that was not the case, obviously, because this fellow who went on a date with my client was a convicted sex offender and was on the site. So, so Mark, um, we're going to need to wrap up soon. Well, what's next for you? I think I'm going to take a vacation. What do you think? Good for you. Yes, I'm doing. I'm doing one myself next week. <laughs> um, and uh, Mark, if people want to find you, where can they find you? <clears throat> Excuse me. My email address would be best. Okay, and what's that? Count Marco One C O U N T M A R C O, the number one at yahoo.com. Well, thank you, Mark. Mark, I'm, that was one other thing we we're going to go over, and I, I wonder what you know, you may have an opinion on it as well. Um, today is arguably a day that will live in infamy because five years ago today, and um, it could have been some well, some go, protests actually about Pluto's um, integration. And um, I'm sorry. Uh, so, you um, cut out right after you said five years ago today. I didn't hear the rest of it. Oh, it says five years ago today was when Pluto was denig- was downgraded from being a planet. To just you know, being something less than a planet, a, a dwarf entity, that was one of the terms I heard saw, and so it was just a. Some people think that's a, tra- a tragic event, and I just thought I'd highlight it for fun. Um, so, Mark, thanks again for being with us. Um, hope you'll join us again when you when you have your next success. I'd and this is Bennett it. Kelly with the Internet Law Center saying thank you. Um, we'll be off next week for vacation, but when we come back in September, we'll be talking to you about the latest things in cyber law and business. Thank you so Anna much. Kelly. Thanks to Kids your audience thank, thank you, Mark. Bye-bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 